Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with, as usual, me, Russell Guyver, and Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. And we have a special guest with us joining for the first time on this podcast. It's Sanjay Bandiri of Kick It Out. Hello, Sanjay. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Russell. Hi, Russell. Hi, Peter. Excellent. Really, really good to have you join us. It's been it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, first of all, um, for anybody that doesn't know by now what Kick It Out is, let's start with that, shall we? A, a quick word on what Kick It Out is, what it does, what it hopes to do, and um, and, and all that jazz. Yeah, sure. So uh, Kick It Out is a charity. It's English Football's Equality and Inclusion Organisation. Uh, we've been around for about. 30 years, it formed in 1993 at the end of the first season of the Premier League, uh, formed as a campaign to tackle racism, as the Let's Kick Racism Out of Football campaign, and sort of expanded beyond racism into other areas of discrimination and into inclusion. Uh, and now, yeah, we're a charity that uh, represents underrepresented or minority communities in football. Our, uh, our mission is to eliminate discrimination and make football a game where everyone feels that they belong. Uh, and so we, and what we do kind of falls into three broad areas around advocacy, learning and talent. So advocacy is things like campaigning, public policy. Uh, so this week, as an example, we just had the Joint Committee on the Online Safety Bill report out uh, on their deliberations over the last five months. They interviewed 50 witnesses. I think I was witness number two, three, and four, along with Ed Lee and John from the FA and Rio Ferdinand, we gave evidence on day one of the proceedings. Uh, so a lot of the work that we've been doing recently has been around how do we how do we tackle online abuse? Uh, you'll be aware of the campaigns, the T-shirts, the reporting app that we have. Uh, we do quite a lot in learning and education. So there's a bit of a broad range, everything from talking with kids in the academy uh, and their parents and training around anti-discrimination and inclusion all the way through to you know if a fan 
does something, commits an commits an act, and working with the club on maybe reducing uh, a ban by having some education so that we can welcome them back into society uh, and a range of other education in between. And then on the sort of talent side, uh, it is look trying to to create a platform off the pitch for people from underrepresented or minority communities to, to be able to work in and around football. And there are lots and lots of roles in football that are nothing to do with being on the pitch. So it's quite a broad spectrum, which is great. And um, I should also mention you are the chair of Kicking Out. I don't think I said that at the beginning. Um, you've not been with them a great deal of time yet so far, have you? When, when did you join it? It feels like it was fairly recently. Yes, so I, I, yeah, two years ago, October yeah. 2019, uh, about six months before the pandemic. So, you know, most of my time, you know, much, much of my time has been in lockdown. It's been a really, really weird time to pick, pick up a new role like this. Uh, and, and, of course, it, it is two years, but one thing I have discovered in football is that football years are like dog years, you know. So it, it's only two elapsed years, but it feels like 14 Uh but also weirdly that I mean obviously half that time probably there's been no crowds in grounds as well. So a lot of the any sort of abuse would be online presumably pretty much, wasn't it? And kind of for half that time. Exactly. And that's exploded. You know, the online abuse yeah. has really exploded. And and of course at the same time you, you, you also have um you know, the income for in football has dropped, everything every organization is facing existential threat. Uh and so you know, you worry about your own funding. You worry about the organisations, the things that they're trying to do around being more inclusive. Well, like you worry about whether those budgets are going to be preserved and whether this, the, that work is going to carry on. But you know, thankfully, we've come through it, and and I think everyone's still still very very focused on on making football a game where everyone feels that they belong. Yeah, you were saying about about online abuse, it must be. I mean, that's uh, almost impossible to. Yeah, obviously, you can reduce it, but to like try and remove it because I think you were saying a lot of it's overseas people overseas isn't it never, the abuse when we think they were London is that correct yeah a lot a lot of it is and a lot part of the challenge here is getting really robust tra- data transparency reports and the people who have that data guess what they're the social media companies and we've been asking for it and they're not really providing it but yeah, to the extent that we have data, that that does suggest that uh, you know m- much of the abuse does come from overseas. That's that's absolutely true. But that's that's not to minimise the abuse that emanates from here. You know, even if even if seventy percent of it is from overseas, which is probably the high end of the of the estimates, it's still thirty percent coming from here. And you know, it just means that you need to have different strategies for how we deal with that. And look, I actually think online abuse is one of these things. In some ways, you can eliminate uh, because it's a technology problem. It's a behavioural and technology problem, and you can have behavioural and technology solutions. And actually, the recommendations from the committee this week are really, really helpful because part of the whole problem with online abuse is that the 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 basic default position is the social media companies rely on complaints from individuals, and then they sort of deal with those complaints. Uh, and that that works if you're getting one or two complaints. This is an industrial scale technology problem. You can't solve it by picking at the size of dealing with one or two complaints. So the, actually, the reason that we welcomed the um, the recommendations from the joint committee chaired by Damien Collins was because 
they really looked very, very carefully in a 192-page report. And one of the things they said on, on, on online abuse and anonymous abuse was really you've got to shift the responsibility back to the platforms. These are, these are your platforms. You created them. You create the, created the problem. You need to create the solutions. It needs to be your responsibility. There's a reasonably foreseeable risk of harm, so you need to have adequate systems and processes to deal with it. So all we've got to do now is make sure the government adopts those recommendations and then <laughs> brings it into force and carries a big stick of fining them 10% of their revenues if they don't do it. Yeah, I mean, the social media companies, are, um, they're very, very quick to clamp down on things related to copyright, monetary issues, et cetera, et cetera. We all know that the ability to clamp down on things is there. And even if it isn't, they can put in um, systems in place to make sure that everybody is verifiable, more accountable, or at least the uh, the IP addresses or whatever it is can be more accounted to. Um on the matter of saying the money, I know you've uh, reading up on your stuff beforehand before we went to Seagulls over London. I noticed you, you use the expression follow the money um, in relation to previous jobs you've done as well, where you've, I think you've worked in law, didn't you? Something to, was it to do with fraud investigations? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I, was, yeah I was a lawyer and then, and then in technology. But yeah, a lot of my sort of 30 year career was following money around asset tracing. So when, mm. when, Big companies get defrauded. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the you know, part of my role was going in to try and trace the money and find the money. Uh, but actually, you know, very often as a you know as involved as a lawyer and, and in other cases, follow the money is always a good. It's always a good. Uh, it's a good motto in terms of if you want to actually get things done. If you want to change things, the way to change things is to look at where the incentives are, uh, and so. You know, in a way, been bringing that same mentality into this, and and so looking at how do you how do you how do you with the social media companies how do you how do you follow the money how do you attack you know whether it's you know boycotts and trying to undermine the advertisers or 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 in this way talking to the legislators and getting them to to with that threat of of fines of ten percent of their revenue and by the way that that kind of regime of will find you 10 percent that's not just made up this is stuff that's been around for over 10 years in other areas of law and has been really successful you know the european commission has been using it in competition law we've been using it in the uk in competition law use it in data privacy law with the information commissioner's office it's a tried and tested way of keeping people in check keeping organizations in check and stopping them from abusing their power uh, and that's in effect what the what the, the social media companies are doing here because they're just sort of putting a platform out there and not caring about the safety. It's a, it's a bit like uh, building the motorway and then uh, when, when there are loads of accidents saying, well, you know, there's another route if you want to go to Scotland. I know it'll take you 10 hours, but go and use the other route. No, I'm not going to put... <laughs> I'm not going to put lights on the motorway. I'm not going to put a hard shoulder on the motorway. I'm not going to put crash barriers on the motorway. And by the way, I use that analogy very deliberately because when the motorways were first built, they had none of those things. They didn't have crash barriers. They had soft verges. They didn't have speed limits. They didn't have, they didn't have lights. So there was a massive accident in the early 70s in Luton, with, which caused huge numbers of deaths. And in fog, 
And so that's what led to that section of the M1 being given likes. And all we're saying to the social media companies is you've created this highway. You now need to put the safety measures in place on the highway. In terms of, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's logical, isn't it? Um, In in terms of um, getting punishments meted out to people who do uh, commit these acts of discrimination, that in itself, aside from the social media side of things, which obviously has its own pitfalls, um, in terms of, say, discrimination at grounds uh, or in and around grounds, there seems to be a lot of challenges ahead with that as well. Because, I mean, from my personal experience growing up, I wasn't consciously aware of any racism um, in my formative years watching the Albion, um, which is from roughly from 1980-ish. Um, however, I noticed gradually it come in in the last few years, and it's got to the point now where it's noticeable. You can see people saying stuff, either muttering to themselves or shouting stuff out at certain games. And obviously homophobia has always followed us since the reputation for Brighton being a gay-friendly city. But um, I haven't really, from personal experience, seen much action taken. Um, for example, there was some pretty vile homophobia at Man City away a few years ago. I reported it to kick it out into Man City. Um, both replied, um, City said they'd look into it in terms of who it was and in the end I never heard anything back now that was before your time by the way in terms of kick it out (laughs) just to clarify um I didn't chase it any further I don't know what happened I mean maybe they did punish them and didn't tell me I don't know um there's been other instances recent very recently um in fact since we saw you a few weeks ago at SOL um there's been games at um West Ham and Southampton were consistent for a number of reasons. Firstly, we went down to 10 men due to an injury and then got a late equaliser in dramatic circumstances, which was great. Um, what wasn't great was that um, in both games, there was homophobic abuse coming from the singing section of the home crowd nearest to the away end. Um, in the case of the West Ham game to our right, in the case of Southampton to our left, what, what that's worth. Um, uh, quite distinctive numbers. Um, Southampton, they were they were having their rainbow laces day, and they had um, somebody from their their pride group um, on the uh, thing on the pitch at half time doing a talk about it. So it felt kind of painfully ironic that on that very day, other members of the support were were doing that. Um, I've, as I understand it, a number of people did complain. How difficult is it to really get from the point of complaining, which I think people are t- tending to do now? I think it's safe to say to actually getting those punishments put in place because it's about identification, obviously. But um, it seems, for example, with the West Ham game, a lot of people were complaining to the stewards and the stewards didn't look like they wanted to know at all, I have to say. Yeah, I think, you know, there's quite a lot of different issues in there to unpack. Let me just try. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. It's a really good question and it's, it's completely pertinent for you and, and, and I assume the listeners for this podcast as, 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 as fans of Brighton. Um, and in some ways, there are some parallels with uh, when there are when there are racist chants inside the ground or racist incidents inside the ground rather than racist chants because you know you, you get fewer racist chants these days, uh, where and that maybe reflects you know something else about what's regarded as socially unacceptable. Uh, and sadly, where we're at still is that. I, mean, I can remember a time when I go to ground and I'd hear regularly racist chanting, you know, every game and particular songs. And I was talking about this with someone the other week. I think there's a particular song that I used to hear and I won't talk about it here, but I, didn't, I, I can't remember the last time I heard it. It was probably late 90s, you know, 20 odd years ago. Uh, and that shows that 
maybe that we regard particular types of words as being socially unacceptable. But we're not quite there yet with homophobia. We're not quite there yet with anti-Semitism. That there's this overall societal uh, condemnation, or that we regard them as that it's universally accepted as being unacceptable. If you see what I mean. Um, and whereas you know people now would think twice about using the N word, or would think twice about using the P word. People are not thinking twice about about using homophobic language, and that's where I think that's a battle we still need to win. We're winning it, but we haven't won it. Um, in terms of when a complaint's made, so just clarifying what our role is. Obviously, we're a charity. You know, we don't have an investigation unit. We're a small charity. There's only twenty of us, right? So we don't. We have a very small team in in complaints. But what we do have is we have regular every week a meeting with the UK Football Police Unit and the people that run policing across the UK and set the guidelines for clubs that should then be working with their stewards as to what would be and should be picked up as a prosecutable offence. And that should then weave into, for each club, in the way in which they train their stewards. And we will also often liaise with the complainant to say, here's what you can expect, and we'll liaise with the club. But look, it's down to the club and the police, right? The club should be issuing, between the two of them, one or other, depending on the severity of the offence, will be doing a review and considering the effective sanctions. Uh, uh, so, actually, I think with homophobia, what we're starting to see this year is the police much more willing to say, actually, we're going to regard that as a hate crime and therefore we are going to prosecute it and we add guidance for people to prosecute it. So there should be less tolerance inside a ground of that kind of chanting. And the stewards really should be picking that stuff up. Now, we know in the way that progress is made, in the same way it was with racist chanting, it doesn't always get picked up. Not every club will go at the same rate. Not all the stewards are, you know, not all the stewards are really well trained. Let's be really honest. They don't always know what to do in those kind of situations. Sometimes the particular situation might be so heated as well. They also have to think about their own self-preservation. And so there'll be a little bit of concern about that. But if there is that concern, that's why they have police inside the ground and they should be working with the police as well. So I think if you do have incidents like that, you should come and tell us about it. Okay. You, we, you can, you can, you can at us the easiest way is adding us on social media. You know, just, you can report through the app, but you can just, you know, tag, tag, kick it out or the kick it out reporting officers or me in, in something in Twitter. I'll make sure it gets through to the football policing unit and someone starts looking at that. But obviously, that's a little bit after the event. Actually, when you're inside the ground, you really need it to go and talk to the stewards and you need someone inside the ground to do it. So I, I think we're in that stage where some clubs are taking action and some clubs are not. And not every club is being completely consistent and not all club stewards are being completely consistent. And while that's frustrating it kind of mirrors our experiences in other areas of discrimination. And so, you know, I think now we look back and say, I can't believe, believe people sang that particular song or use the N word pretty commonly or use the P word really commonly in football. And I think in 10 years time, we'll be looking back, you know, part of our ambition saying, yeah, how was that ever possible that people were able to sing those songs at Brighton fans? How is it possible that people were able to make anti-Semitic comments in football? I can't believe we ever did that. 
Hmm. I, I think yeah, the other problem we get to. The problem with the Southampton and West Ham things, though, certainly the West Ham while I was at, is that it is sadly safety in numbers. That if people, enough people are yeah. singing the song, it becomes, you know, if someone shouts homophobic or racist abuse, you can, they're quite easy to isolate and there probably will be someone near them who will report them. But when 100, 150 people are singing a song, and I suppose that's what you're saying about when, you know, we, we make homophobic abuse so that it's, you know, people don't, most people won't sing it. It isolates the odd person who might think it. And then if, if they do carry on, they're kind of much easier to catch. Whereas you've got like 150 people all singing. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to, to kind of punish all 150 of them because they're catching them. And yeah. exactly, exactly. We have to move, we have to move the doll in kind of both ways. You know, you, you, it, actually some strategic arrest in those kind of situations does also help. <laughs> so you do need to be doing that. You do need to be capturing because you do need to be saying, signalling that this is not acceptable. And yeah. you know, in many cases, it's a criminal offence. And so you want the law to be uh, brought into effect and to, for, for it to be enforced. Um, look, we know practically it's very difficult to do that if it's a lot of people that are chanting, but actually some strategic use of one or two people. Uh, and every time there's an isolated incident, you should certainly pick those up because obviously from a policing yeah. perspective, they're much easier to much easier to do. Um, but it, there's a broader, more cultural thing there that we're dealing with, which is we're starting to have that dialogue about is this acceptable? This is not acceptable. And educating more people into why this is unacceptable. And like I say, the fact that so much of the racist chanting that you heard in the 1980s and, and 1990s as well, we just don't hear anymore, uh, is a positive. Though the, the slight, I suppose, caveat I put on that is it is coming back a bit. Some of that racist chant is coming back. And, you know, progress is not a sort of, it's not, it's not, you know, a straight line. It's not things are always, always improving. It's more ups and downs and ebbs and flows. And we're going through a period with the sort of tribal nature of global politics that over the last few years, it's become more acceptable for people to say things that they previously were not saying. And, you know, I've certainly heard the P word coming back more. I've heard the N word coming back more in, in grounds as well. I'm sure you've heard and, heard and seen the same. Uh, and that reflects a broader sort of more tribal society and so it, it, it that will stop as we as we it, as if we do things but we have to do things <laughs> it won't just stop on its own we have to be really clear that these things are unacceptable and so reporting those things and making sure there are effective sanctions is the way in which we signal our discontent and signal that this is unacceptable in society it's really sad enough, both, both online and, and at games and that sort of thing. It is, yeah, definitely a lot worse than over the last five years, say, than I think than it has been. Because we seem to find ourselves talking about a new incident, either an online one or an offline one on podcasts, like every week, pretty much. It's a new kind of something's happened, something's come up, you know. Isn't it? it's, it's just and so don't take my word for it. Don't take my yeah. word for it. Look, you look at the home office, right? <laughs> they, 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 you. Yeah. Their own hate crime statistics over the last six, seven years have been going up. You look at the 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 UK football policing lead, Mark Roberts, talks about it. I think last year the hate crime was was on the rise, uh, and they'd seen that rise, and that's one of his areas of concern. So it's not just me saying this. This yeah. is there's data there that's telling. No, no, I, no I, I definitely feel it as well at games as well. I definitely, you see, I think it's definitely more likely it almost. It had never gone away, but it felt like you know it was very, very marginalised at one point, and then yeah, the last five years or so definitely feel like people maybe with those views have been 
kind of yeah, justified in their views by, yeah. by various things in politics and in life. And I think so the, they feel like they're justified in what they think. The, the problem with it is, is I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, but I do think it was already starting to rise a little bit. And when David Cameron decided to try and further his his, his tenure as uh, prime minister and came up with a referendum for Brexit, whatever you think about Brexit, um, one thing it did do, it created a binary opposite between two uh, two factions. Um, it, it made things a lot more black and white in the in the metaphorical sense, and it also uh, it, it certainly gave empowerment to those that might be of a bigoted nature to feel confidence, um, knowing that there's a number of people who may have voted, for example, for Brexit for reasons other than economic considerations and other practical details and for the for the other reason that we're all thinking of here um it, it's whether that's right or wrong that's what they would have had the sense of and it felt to me that that gave them empowerment to then feel confident to be brash in certain situations and in stadiums and then afterwards we saw the we had the Raheem in, uh, incident with Chelsea fans Salah at least once I think was Islamophobically abused um and I think and then obviously there's a whole torrent of others Obviously, the undercurrent being with the media as well, with, uh, should we say, different um, presentations of black players versus white players, which has not helped at all. And obviously, has been covered plenty elsewhere. We won't go into that. But, yeah, I think all of those things have helped um, this problem come up. Um, but I do think it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing in terms of that, that um, Brexit vote, I think, was a watershed moment in a way in terms of it, it did prompt the situation to escalate. Uh, faster than it maybe already would have done. And either way round, I mean, we, we did have it before, didn't we, that you wouldn't hear racism in grounds. If you did, it would be a very striking exception to the rule. And racism never, never, of course, goes away, but it at least had been suppressed and it had been made socially unacceptable. And it's just this sense of it creeping back up to being not acceptable, but um, tolerated. And as you said, Sanjay, it's a case of you just got to keep fighting to pull it back down and get it back under control, basically, isn't it? I think is, is the issue there. Yeah, and, what, and whatever tribe you belong to, right? Whether it's the you know, at the moment, you know, there are kind of look, we're 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 turning into as a society, we're so tribal, and in a way, the problem is that the rest of society is becoming what football always was, which is massively tribal, right? And yes. so you, yeah. The, the, you know, we 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 argue over absolutely everything, don't you? Whether it was leave or remain, or is it is you lockdown or release? Or are you mask or no mask? You know, it's like yeah. there's a Woody Allen film, Radio Days, where he says that he's which is about when he was young and and and, and the 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 1940s, and saying, you know, his parents were the kind of couple that would argue over which is the better ocean, the Atlantic or the Pacific, and that's <laughs> the whole of society now. We are all that. Right, every single issue becomes something where we retreat to our tribes, and social media amplifies those bubbles so that we all have to have an opinion and we have to have the opinion of the tribe rather than well, actually, I might have one view on one thing, another view on another thing, uh, and there might be you know some sensible middle ground. Not there's this sort of baseline rally of self-righteous indignation that goes between sort of broadly <laughs> anti-woke and woke, and the rest of us are just watching. Um, yes. So, as that, you said, safety, safety in numbers as well. That's the context in which we yeah. are operating. But one thing that is common, tends to be common, is actually overt acts of discrimination don't go down well with woke or anti woke, actually. <laughs> that tends to be if I go on talk radio or GB news, they're just as anti those 
overt acts of discrimination. And a lot of what we're seeing is really out there, overt acts of discrimination, which are unacceptable to anyone and to everyone. Hmm. Yeah, I thought the most, the most depressing stuff, but it was so predictable, was after the Euros when, you know, mm. the, the abuse that um, Saka, Sancho and Rashford got was just absolutely shocking. And the, the, the supreme irony of the, the, a lot of some of the people who were the ones who were abusing Rashford were ones who he helped to feed their kids during lockdown. And, you know, kind of, and th- that sort of thing just, it was so depressing though, because the minute it ended, I was like, oh God, this is going to happen now. It's so, so sad, but it's inevitable. And it was like within about yeah, an hour or so, you could hear stories breaking of people abusing them on social media and that sort of thing. And it's just so inevitable sometimes. But, and I mean, I think what we were saying earlier, I think social media is to blame for a lot. And it also is to blame for a lot of, I think it justifies people's views because there's someone they can find now who agrees with them more easily. Whereas before, they might have had it. It must be much harder if you're racist or homophobic. You you know you you, you had to found it. You know, actually speak to people about it. But if you can just be anonymous online and chat with people about it, then it makes it much more justifiable in your view that you're you're, you're right rather than and conspiracy theorists as well and that sort of thing. That's right. Easy easier to find your tribe on social media. Yeah, as you said, safety in numbers and people can gravitate in enough numbers again to empower and to reassure people of one view or another that they their view is is um is kind of commonly held uh, which is, is one thing um just one final thing what we'll do we'll take a break in a moment and talk football afterwards uh, but just before we do a couple of bits just on kicking out as well i mean i've noticed on your website there's a an announcement qatar 2022 working group to drive lgbtq plus inclusion at the world cup can you tell us a little bit about that and anything else that's going on currently contemporarily yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of things we have going on, but to that in particular, um, obviously we, we we were working through the qualifying phases, actually we'd formed the group for a little while beforehand so that we were able to make a statement as soon as England qualified. Uh, and look, we, we know that there's going to be a, a challenge uh, for uh, the people that we represent. Our beneficiaries are underrepresented or minority communities in English football. And look, some some of our... That includes some of our LGBT fans and some of them will want to go to Qatar and will want to feel safe and to feel welcomed. Uh, but also they will want to feel that people like them who live in Qatar, that there will be some kind of legacy, that it's a safer place for them to be themselves. And so that is what we're working towards, is how can we make sure that our people feel safe when they're over there and that their brethren who are left behind are able to be themselves. And so this this is a long dialogue and is going to continue. uh, And, uh, but it's an important one because, you know, the, the the tournament is going to go ahead anyway, no matter what. And, um, you know, whether, whatever the forms of protest there might be or, or expressions of solidarity, um, but I think it was important for us to put something together like that working group, and it's a coalition of different people from uh, from from across the LGBT community. Um, so yeah, I think it was quite a, quite an important thing for us to do. Okay, great, excellent, Sanjay. And um, just finally, on the, in this first part, um, you mentioned when you came to Seagulls over London about how um, well clubs have varying degrees of good interaction on on the on this subject matter. But um, but Paul Barber and and with Brighton in general, uh, you were complimentary about the club, saying they're very good in clamping down on issues and and staying on top of the game in terms of uh, of dealing with issues like this. Yeah. Um, 
Paul well, well, and other people at the club I've spoken to quite a bit and speaking to recently on things, and there's quite a yeah. lot going on. And I mean, you've had a really good reputation for actually sort of zero tolerance of discrimination. And I you know you've banned quite a few supporters that where, where you've experienced it inside the ground, but also some of the really positive stuff. And it's not like we've spent quite a lot of time talking about discrimination, which is quite right. That that it was that's always a big big topic but it's also about one of the cures for discrimination is that you know look discrimination very often comes from ignorance and it comes from not knowing people who are different to you and so you know the part of the answer to that is how building a more inclusive environment in and around the ground for fans and the people who work at the clubs and, and that's one of the other areas where I think Brighton will be doing a you know fantastic job that I know they've got this sort of female inclusion program called aim high all about getting women in the organization to to achieve their potential um i think they've got sort of currently got a menopause working group uh to see how that impacts female workers uh training courses on allyship that i'm aware of i know that you've got some you've been giving great support to the rainbow laces campaign mm-hmm. uh, paul barber himself is on the board of women in football there's a lot of work with women in football as well so i think you know look everyone talks the talk not everyone walks the walk as well as brighton does and i think you know you should be proud of your club because your club walks the walk as well which is fantastic really good to hear us well as i say we are really proud of that aren't we peter it's, it's yeah. great yeah really good um okay so and um, we'll probably take a break there in part two we're going to chat football and i've got to i have to pick you up on that horrendous looking mug you're drinking your hot beverage from sanjay in part two <laughs> we'll explain what that means in a moment after this short break back in a moment And so to part two and an explanation of that comment from just now about um, Sanjay's mug. Um, he has an affiliation with a football team that isn't Brighton. You'll be unsurprised to hear. But um, tell us who it is then, Sanjay. It looks awful, the design on that, that mug. I'm really, really not impressed. <laughs> well, I, 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 you mentioned earlier in the call that you started sporting Brighton in the early 1980s. So obviously, you know, just in time to see you lose the cup final in 83. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Man United. Yes, Man United, sins, I'm sure. Um, yes, yeah, that was uh, my first four years, '79 to '83. So that was the culmination of some some good times leading to bad. Yeah, yeah. That, the replay doesn't exist, just to say that didn't happen. Uh, but anyway, it did score. <laughs> well, I mean, also, also, Norman Whiteside made his debut for Man United at the Goldstone Ground. He was one of my favourite players when I was a kid. So, yeah, that's right. He did, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you know David Beckham also um, turned out at the Goldstone for Preston on loan. You may not even know that one, but um, yeah. You mentioned it last time we spoke. That was the, I'd, I'd forgot. I think he might even have made his debut at the Goldstone. It might, it might have been his debut. I think, yeah. might, I think he did. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of bit of history there with the old the old grounds. Um, in terms of yourself, though, I mean, if anyone's been keenly eared here, they might detect that you don't have a Manchester accent. I know this is. Um, the ground. <laughs> this isn't groundbreaking in the sense of, um, you know, Man U fans. I'm not having a dig though, but you, no, you have got a reason to be a Man U you fan. Tell us about that. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit of a dig, but not too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm from I'm from Wolverhampton, which might be just as bad today. Um, 
Um, we time this well. You're probably we? not the ideal guest for today, actually, Sanjay. <laughs> so I'm in here between Wolves and Man United, literally for you. Um, yeah, and so yeah, when I was a kid, my parents weren't weren't football fans, so we didn't get that whole you know you support your local team thing because like I was the first generation that liked football, and uh, so it's really my uncles and my cousins and they were all in Manchester and they were all Man King United fans and actually the uh, the day I was brought home after I was born uh, normally when this family sort of come and visit they no one came to visit because they were all at Wembley for the European Cup farm in 1968 <laughs> so I suspect there might have been a bit of guilt on their part trying to you know take me to games and stuff like that in the in the 70s and 80s so yeah, so I just once you one thing I did know was that when you pick a team, that's it, that's your team, you can't change. Yeah. So, uh, so I started supporting Man United in 1974 from afar, just the first season in the uh, last season in the second division. Um, but yeah, that that was some really the I sort of really remember the the World Cup in particular in '74 and had quite a big resonance for us because the uh, the referee in the 1974 World Cup final was from Wolverhampton. He was a butcher from Wolverhampton called Jack Taylor. Uh, so he, you know, this was a local hero, big news in my hometown in the 1970s. Uh, also, of course, the other thing about being born in Wolverhampton in the 1970s, I was also born. Well, I was born in 68. I was born about a month after Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. You know, Wolverhampton in the 70s was a was a, a sort of hotbed of of of, uh, of racial tension. And so, you know, not necessarily the safest place to go in the 70s and 80s if you're a, if you're an Asian kid. Uh, it's thankfully brilliant now. Things like the Punjabi Wolves. It's a much safer place to go if you're a if you're an Asian Wolves fan. But it wasn't always like that in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I can imagine. And in, in terms of nowadays, do you get to go to games much at United? Uh, home and away, yeah. I apply for every single away match. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> every home match, and I, I don't actually don't quite get to every home match, but I've season ticket holder and I've been for sort of 30 to 40 years. And uh, yeah, I apply for every away match. I've been to Brighton a few times. Uh, yeah. uh, we don't all. I, I, we don't always do well when I go there, but <laughs> no, we've, we've, we've done okay. You've won the ones behind closed doors normally, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, ones actually people were in, people were able to go. Exactly. There was that one. Was it a bank holiday Friday or Monday bank holiday? Yeah, one the uh, one end of season one. Yeah, we we we, yeah. we, we actually literally like, confirmed survival that night from the in our first Premier League season, which was so it was a. It's a Friday night of excellent, excellent. Night I was on the it was Good Friday, wasn't it? I was on the I was on the front row of the away end watching that, and right behind the goal. Yeah, miserable two hours. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys were. I think yeah, you good. got second already, and you had a cup final coming up, and you had other things. Yeah, seemed like you were quite with it that day. It wasn't really. Uh, didn't seem that as bothered as maybe we were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We meant few terrible. Sorry, go on, go on. I was just saying, I've seen a couple of poor, poor, poor United performances at, mm. uh, at the Amex. Yeah, so we've, we've enjoyed those, yeah, they've, they've been good. But, uh, <laughs> but we, we, we did mention off air the, um, the, 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 the famous, infamous game uh, where yeah. you got, what was it, 3 2 in the end, wasn't it? I can't remember the score in the end. Yeah, yeah it was three. Um, where, I mean, everyone made a fuss about the final whistle thing, but actually, I, I didn't have an issue with that, particularly. Uh, other than the fact um, that I didn't think it should have been a corner or, or indeed the time should have run that long for it to have led to the penalty. But um, there was a number of other things. Could have had a couple of second yellows for players. 
the overturning of a non clear and obvious pen. It's one of my favorite topics for discussion, Sanjay. I've ranted about it a number of times, so I probably won't go on about it anymore. Especially I, when it was followed up with a blatant penalty at Old Trafford as well, when um, McGuire <laughs> fell well back at 1-0. Uh, there's a football fan thing, isn't there, right? So, <laughs> and I don't remember any of those incidents, and that's not me being <laughs> arson vague. It's just you, every football fan, you only ever remember the incidents that go against you. Like, yeah, so, that's right. Every time I see Martin Atkinson refereeing for Man United, <laughs> I go back to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup in 2008 and cost us a treble. <laughs> <laughs> because he refused to give Ronaldo a penalty in the first minute, and then he sent off the goalkeeper, and we had Rio Ferdinand in goal, I think, at the end. And I think they won with a penalty but you know like every Man United fan knows that because you all know it yeah. you remember every time you see Martin Atkinson you carry those scars with you yeah. and you will have exactly yeah, well, we've got, that game I think most Brighton fans you know kind of where Mike Dean for example even though he's refereed just quite a few times in the Premier League will remember the time he potentially cost us promotion the year before we went up and what I remember Craig Pawson who's refereed just loads in Premier League oh, yeah. sending off two of our players in the first 10 minutes against Burnley one game and kind of, even though Everyone ref- remembers that. And actually, yeah. I think it was one, one Palace game didn't send off one of our players early on when we actually got away with it a little bit. But yeah, yeah. remember the yeah. That's, that's proof there. Yeah. yeah, you probably had loads of favourable decisions from Martin Atkinson. I've got no idea, but you probably have. And as you said, no, you won't yeah, it, boss over that because it's just the way <laughs> we, we are as a problem. Yeah. We, we, if we'd had a good decision from Martin Atkinson, we'd remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, I hope we, I hope we get him. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say I hope we get him on Sunday. Um, for, for the for the game. Sorry, on Saturday for the game we're supposed to be having against you. But I have a sneaking suspicion that's not going to take place. I mean, there's rumours United might have up to. 20 staff either playing or otherwise um, infected with COVID plus no doubt a couple of other people out for other reasons. We've got it's been said three or four by Grand Potter, it's been it's been said several by Paul Barber whatever that means exactly we don't know uh, we've got a number of injuries ourselves as well we, we asked for the Wolves game to be postponed and we're unsuccessful um, I don't know what the criteria is for it but it does seem unlikely it will go ahead I mean we, we don't know if it was going to be a preview for that game we're not going to really build it up too much because it's probably not going to happen but what, what do you make of it all Sanjay I mean any ideas of what constitutes postponing a justifiable reason to postpone a game um, in these circumstances it's unclear isn't it no, no one seems to know I don't think anyone knows, do they? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I, I, I know the clubs have all been doing loads of preparation, hence all the you know, stuff they've been doing right from the start of the season, knowing that, that there would be more challenges over the winter and so the kinds of stuff that they've been doing with the fans and COVID passes and all that kind of stuff. But um, obviously there is always the possibility that you get some kind of variant like this that would have this kind of impact. But... I don't know if they'd thought about what would be what 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 constitutes the right the number of players that would need yeah. to be out or the number of backroom staff or actually how do you get fans in and feeling comfortable as well. One thing I had heard on another sorry, I do listen to other rival podcasts. Sorry, they are available. I was listening to one uh It's not recommended. It's not recommended, <laughs> but they are available should you wish if you have time after listening to this one. Uh there was I think it's called Sports Unlocked with Martin Ziegler from the Times and Tarek Panja from the New York Times and um, and Rob Harris from Associated Press. And they were saying, and I don't know how true this is, that Brighton and Man United are the two clubs with the fewest vaccinated players. Yeah, so I've seen that too. This yeah. is the unvaccinated derby 
a match that we had on <laughs> Saturday. Um, so I don't know if that also has an impact on, you know, once it, if, once it starts spreading, you know, whether it spreads faster amongst the unvaccinated and therefore is that is that also part of the challenge here? So but also, I mean, also, even if it won't won't happen on Saturday. Yeah. Well, I don't think. Yeah. But, but even if those players have been double jabbed now, you're still in trouble because the new variant seems to get around yeah. anyway. So it's, yeah. it's very spreadable. Could, could we call so it I think the that's super... why suddenly we're seeing this, these postponements because Leicester Spurs has now been called off tonight or is on the verge it... of being called off apparently. It, seems to be yeah, been it, off. it has been called off. Hot news during this podcast. Yeah, indeed. Nice. There we go. <laughs> Um, maybe we could call it the Super Unvaxico or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it does seem also there's, there's been some gripes about it, saying, oh, Man United and Spurs managed to get games postponed and Brighton didn't. But then you think, well, it, it kind of works as an argument for the big club sort of preference, preferential treatment. But then the Watford game got called off. Although, actually, I, I, I've got a conspiracy theory here. That I, I really hope I'm wrong. But if Watford wanted to get the game called off, maybe they thought there's a better chance that they travel up to Burnley, then discover they've got COVID cases in a limited number of travelling squad, and then say they can't fulfil the fixture. That is a possible scenario. I, I, lo- I love the idea of a conspiracy <laughs> theory here, but I think it's simply that we only had three or four players out with COVID. Most I know, of them I know. were injured or, or in Duffy's case, suspended. I think it was only, well, if, depending on what the injuries were, it was only Mope, Grosh, yeah. and potentially Lacardia who were out. So it, it wasn't if, that if many, it, would, it was just the injuries as well. If, if it were true, Peter, and it were discovered to be true and made public, can you imagine how angry the Watford fans would be with that? <laughs> I mean, they'd be angry be enough there to go to Burnley anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. Having been there this season, it's not a place I want to go back to very regularly. It's really cold, isn't it? It's, I think it's, it's one yeah. of the higher grains in uh, in the UK. I think West Brom's the highest, mm. isn't it? It's always... It's always yeah. really cold when you go to Burnley. <laughs> I went there in August. It was it wasn't that warm. Even then, it was raining. And a you bit still miserable. have to wear a parker, don't you? Even in August. Yeah. Yes. It was, we did win in August. We did win there, so that was good. I think Alderman Stoke are also pretty good for freezing oh, yeah. yourself uh, at games. As yeah, well. Boundary Park is horrendous. Yeah. I think it's like I don't think I've ever been there when it's not like wind gusting around you and. Well, ironically, the only game I went to was an opening season one with Leon Knight on loan and uh, Henderson playing up front for us. And that was a really, really hot day, actually, um, for August. Oh, you but, did well um, there. Yeah. For some reason, I've, I went three years in a row. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> Culminating well, yeah. in us going up in the last time we played there. To be fair, I didn't lose any of those games. So Yeah. Everyone's to their own. Um, Sandy, before we round off then, just a couple of bits to do with you I, I wanted to just bring up as well. First of all, on your Twitter handle, I'm quite impressed with it, actually. But apart from some stuff to do with your work side of things, you, you include the words um, sport, music, movies, books, laughter. I like it. Oh, and cats over as well. Um, Peter and I have both got cats. So assuming you've got a cat from your comment there. Um, uh, it, says, it says cat sofa and dog lollipop. Uh, oh, yes, it does, yeah. Three cats and a dog, yeah. That's exactly what I've got as well. <laughs> It's a miracle no cats have walked across screen during this conversation. Normally, normally there is <laughs> one. Actually, uh, I did. I had a meeting at the FA actually. It was a sort of a Zoom meeting, uh, inclusion advisory board meeting. I, was, I can't remember what we were talking about. Discussing talking about something really serious, and my cat just walked in front of my screen, and uh, I suddenly just got like loads of direct messages going. That was lovely. That, that was, <laughs> uh, you know, it really broke the ice. I think. So yeah. So, Animals, animals are great. You can trust animals as well, can't you? you Absolutely. Know. And you can trust them to stitch you up. 
There's there's an advert on TV, isn't there, where someone's faking a frozen scream and then the cat walks, which is actually very funny. But um, no, I mean that's a good that's a good um bio there on your on your listings. Um, for, uh, film in particular, I do a film podcast as well. Actually, uh, love film, so uh, maybe get chatting on that subject sometime I, in the future. Uh, I invested in the Diego Maradona film. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah that's the massive yeah. Carrier film, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, yeah. Oh, brilliant! It's a great yeah. film. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a cracking movie, and uh, yeah, I also invested in one about Steven Gerrard mainly because he'd made me loads of money from Man United beating Liverpool so often uh, under him. But I thought I'd try and make some more money out of him by investing in a film about him, uh, which worked really well. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so I go into the go into the premiere of that with uh, with my nephew, who's also a Man United fan. I think we were the only two Man United fans there, um, and so do. We, we were the only ones cheering when he slipped over. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, each to their own. <laughs> Indeed. And finally, from me, I don't know if Peter, you've got anything to throw in as well, but one thing I realised I didn't mention earlier to do with your, your background before kick it out, amongst other things of a kind of more business and kind of law-related um, nature, you also, rather curiously, I know, um, was also a stand-up comic for two years, which is uh, quite quite a jarring entry into your cv i have to say tell us quickly about that as well uh yeah i just did it as an amateur you know enjoying work going around the sort of london comp, small comedy club circuit and um it was just something i'd always wanted to have a go at had a go at it did a course you graduate do a five minute gig and then someone booked me for the following <laughs> i said okay fine and so i just kind of like did it and it wasn't something i was thinking oh i'll do this you know for two years or three years or whatever it was oh i'll do it get out of my system and then how oh, actually and when you come back and so i just kept kept coming back i quite like doing things like that where you just you just follow your nose a little bit and it, things happen by accident some of the best things in life offline happen by accident like that so yeah, yeah. it was just, just great fun and really good um stood me in good stead for other things in life i don't get too worried about turning up and just doing anything really or get amazed by anyone or intimidated by anyone um because i think if you try to make people laugh on a wet monday night in king's cross then right when they're not necessarily with you um yeah anything else is a bit of a walk in the park is it is it equivalent of the uh, premier league can you do on a wet tuesday night in stoke in february yeah, that is wet Monday night in King's Cross is the equivalent of can he do it <laughs> on Wednesday night in Stoke? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig as well. Stand up comedy, <laughs> Oldham, yeah, exactly. Um, anything else from you, Peter? Or you, no, you just say thanks so much happen. for coming on, Sandy. Yeah. It's been really interesting. Indeed, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, obviously, very important issues to discuss um, in the first half. In terms of contacts, uh, you mentioned there's an app. I presume that's just called Kick It Out, is it? Um, searchable on all the usual platforms, is that right? Available at all good bookstores. Yeah, no, available on all the <laughs> usual platforms. Uh, yeah, Kick It Out app. And if you want to connect in with, we're on Twitter at Kick It Out, and I'm on Twitter as well at Sanjay Kick It Out. So, very, very yeah. easy to find if you want to connect or uh, yeah. you know, if you want to talk about Man United or Brighton or the game on Saturday or whenever it gets played. Uh, very happy to. And yeah, by all means, uh, send me abuse if you beat us. 
<laughs> we'll be sure to do that, definitely. Yes. Of course, all, all acceptable abuse, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to get you back on, actually, to, to preview the, the second attempt at the first game, as I'm going to guess it's going to be. And maybe do that or later in the season or another about the time. first attempt at the second game? <laughs> yes, could be that, or, or, or beyond, yeah. So, so, Sanjay, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, yeah, Thanks sir. a lot, Sanjay. And best of luck with kicking out and with the rest of your season, apart from the obvious games against us. <laughs> Cheers. Likewise, thanks for having me. So that was great to hear from Sanjay there speaking to us this Thursday lunchtime. Really good to get him on and some interesting points there. And uh, he's always good value. Quite a laugh as well. I mean, you've got to have a sense of humour to be a Man U fan probably nowadays. <laughs> but I anyway, don't think no. as a Brighton fan we've got anything. We could say that. No, no. <laughs> Especially not this week. Because we, we're speaking, of course, the day after uh, the Albion lost 1-0 at home to Wolves. It was a rare non-visit to a home match for me. I didn't make it down. Mixture of work commitment offers um which i couldn't turn down financially really and i'm so glad i didn't go there were transport problems whether you went by road or rail apparently uh the weather wasn't great it was just generally miserable and we had a large number of players out for various reasons um graham potter tried to get the game postponed unsuccessfully and subsequently we then went on to lose one nil home to wolves their first victory over us in the premier league era or in the in top flight era um sorry i'll rephrase that first top flight win over us ever I think is the way to word it and I think they were in the same division as us in the 70s 80s at least somewhere there so yeah disappointing all round um a well taken goal that decided it um from Saiz from a lovely chip ball forward from Nevis we'll get into the details of that in a minute um but pizza um I mean I didn't go to the game did you go to the game I didn't know so you were a wise man as well however I'm assuming you watched it on tv same I did yeah for my sins and you look like you want to have a rant. So I'm going to pass it over to you. <laughs> speak, yeah. Um, speak to you all in 10 minutes, guys. <laughs> it's not, not necessarily a rant. I think, so I understand we had some players out yesterday. I don't actually think in the end we had that many missing who would have made a huge impact. We didn't defend poorly, really. So I don't think Duncan Webster were, were missed hugely. I think Webster's ball carrying was probably missed more than maybe they're defending. Because I don't I think the goal was down to a poor clearance from Basuma rather than anything else, to be honest. And, uh, and also not closing down Nevers as well. Yeah, uh, we and, should have had someone nearer yeah. to Yeah. And also someone should have followed in with size if they weren't going to play the offside trap. But yeah, hmm. the, it was, I agree, a well-taken goal, but also one that is defensive that you question. And in the second half, we obviously, obviously opened up, up constantly. It happened regularly. But yeah, the fact that between them, Traore, uh, Pedence, and who was the other one up front? The other, uh, Trincao. Couldn't, Trincale, yeah. hmm. couldn't couldn't shoot properly or couldn't like shoot other than straight at Sanchez. That's kind of like reason which stayed one 0 But my my real issue is, I mean, I think Mal Malpe and Welbeck obviously would, would have started up front. I don't think anyone else really was was missed, and it is noticeable we haven't won a game since Welbeck got injured, which is, you know, considering his injury proneness, hmm. quite worrying really. My my yeah. real issue with last night is we'd had yes we'd had a few injuries, but we had a rest at the weekend. We didn't play. You'd have hoped that we'd have looked really fresh and really up for it. And I didn't think, even in the first half, when we, we, were, we were decent, but we weren't amazing, we did. But there wasn't a lot of movement. There wasn't a lot of real urgency. There wasn't like, and the one or two times there were, we did stretch falls because they obviously have a very good defence. And, you know, we, we struggled to 
break them down at, at nil-nil. At one-nil in the second half, I thought we were dreadful. And yeah, we didn't offer anything really going forward. The two chances of the night fell from Wepu, really. One from a, a in one at the end of the first half, obviously he missed. And then also one that he kind of, I feel maybe should have headed rather than kind of like, Tried to tried to knit almost in. Yeah, or use his left foot at least. Yeah, so the weaker left. He, he went for the he went for the kind of the wrong option, and I, he could have stooped ahead. It he could have yeah gone with his left foot, but either of those would have been preferable to what he did with his right foot. And yeah, and it just wasn't his night. But and that's not the same. I mean, I thought he had a decent game otherwise compared to some of the others. But I just mm. don't think we look. We couldn't get Trussard in the game, which obviously would have been crucial. Connolly was was pretty useless, but then he didn't get any service either. Really, you got to say McAllister when he came on didn't really anything um mm. number, yeah really our, our attacking players offered a lot and and Lamptey doesn't look he didn't look the player that maybe he was when he first came back in a couple of games like the football game that sort of thing he looks like he's like gone into the rest of the team's kind of dropping in confidence and he couldn't you know he couldn't really didn't really try and take his man mm. enough and didn't have a go at him and yeah well I mean, it's a few few points on there. First of all, yeah, with Lamptey, I think he was they negated the dangers from him a lot better than others have done. I think they've got a pacier defence than others, and they're very well um, organised defence. No they're well organised. Yeah, there was analysis post match for BT Sport. However, they're talking about how three people would drop in regardless. So if someone moved up, someone else dropped in, and they yeah. really kept the numbers up. They outnumbered us at the penalty box. And they've and got the best defence out they kept of the, the top shape. three. Which is yeah, fair, yeah fair exactly. I mean, we talk about we've we've I don't know now, but prior to the game last night, we. Um, we'd lost um, the least number of games outside of the top three. And Wolves, um, whatever, whatever that record still stands, Wolves having conceded um, the least outside of the top three is, is also a pretty impressive record. Um, they are looking better organised, although they haven't won for four games and it's seen as, oh, typical Brighton being the team to help solve someone's bad run. But actually, Wolves have been playing quite well. They were very well, They held City, City except for a dodgy penalty at the weekend. Ridiculous penalty uh, decision, uh, yeah. 45 I've, minutes with 10 men. Yeah, exactly. And so when all said and done, you know, they, they are playing quite well. Yes, they were missing Jimenez. Yes, their um, arguably replacement guy that started, is it Chan's name, I think, um, came off early in the game and got replaced by Traore. I don't, I don't think that helped us. I think Traore is a lot more of a threat than he'd have probably been, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also I, they I, had I another guy. I was quite disappointed when he came off. And, yeah, uh, and they, they had another guy, another guy out in the warm-up as well. And then whatever his name is, um, Alt Nori, isn't it? Alt Nori. Nori, that's it. Yeah. Um, but I don't agree. Yeah, which did then lead about... to probably on, yeah. the most cheating player ever come into the game. I mean, oh yes, whatever his name is. I Marcel, mean, some of his behaviour. There was one where he got the game stopped by holding his head, and he'd run within about five yards of one of our players. They breathed on it. Wasn't even his head. They breathed on. They might have breathed on his on yeah. his chest, and then he went down holding his head to get play stopped. And he went running into another player. Into, play when he, was, he ran into Veltman, didn't he? And then yeah. I think it was. And then the incident where he got he, he defended a ball with his um, nether part, shall we say, which fair enough does hurt. But he he landed off the pitch, obviously in some pain, which is fair enough. But he then decided he was able to stand up and walk onto the pitch, and then realised, no, no, this pain's too much. I better roll down onto the floor again, which clearly was a, a delaying tactic. Yeah. Um, pretty. I mean. Yeah, you probably do that because you're defending a corner and if you're off the pitch, they might have to defend it with one less player. You either muscle up and just, just get on and try and survive through it or you stay off the pitch. You can't come on and then do that. That's yeah. just blatant. blatant it should have been a booking, that, to be honest. It's a book that, book that should be a booking yeah. for gamesmanship. 
must be. Surely Steve, our, re- our resident ref, can probably tell us about that. But um, if you're listening, the, re- Steve, the referee please, had other message. problems anyway. So worry about. Yes, <laughs> indeed. We'll come to that in a moment. But yeah, Marcel, I thought was disgraceful. Time wasting tactics in general. I've heard in previous games they've been time wasting from the beginning of the game. So they yeah. they certainly play the. Um, shall we say they've they've got the Portuguese flavour very much within that team in more ways than one. There's some yeah, good the 11 players minutes there. really was actually the minimum it should have been. It should have been more yeah. probably given their time wasting yeah. and given how much time was taken up with all the referee stuff and how yeah. much Marcel spent on the floor, which was probably about 11 minutes on yeah. the yeah, I mean, he, he's a disgrace. He's exactly the epitome of the kind of player, in particular Portuguese players, um, who I cannot stand in terms of the way they approach the game, the time-wasting, the rolling arounds, the histrionics. Um, it's it's gamesmanship. Yes, it can be part of the game, but it shouldn't be, as far as I'm concerned. No. I can't stand... He's like Pepe. I cannot abide that guy. Um, he, he's, the, he's, he's, he's from the same pod, isn't he, as that, really? Um, but anyway, you know, it is what it is. But um, just before we get on to talk about refereeing issues and other stuff, um, I I would disagree with you to some degree about the players. I mean, in terms of the starting lineup, um, okay, yeah, largely the the team didn't look as bad as we thought it might be. There were rumours that Kukurea, March and Sanchez may have been out with COVID. It turned out not to be the case. Um, So obviously we were pleased to see those guys in there. But... Looking at the lineups, um, I mean, we've you've got obviously more pace missing. And now, as far as I'm concerned, if you haven't got more pay in the team, and you haven't got um, obviously Welbeck because he's injured, as far as I'm concerned, not being too brutal here, we don't have any other strikers. We've got players that can, you know, Connolly you say was, that, but Potter chose that for three start games starting in a row recently. Mm, I know, I know, but he, he had to go it with, with that option. He had it with Trossard in false nine, but more pay's come back to form in a mini sort of way, two games yeah. in a row. And, you know, missing him, presumably he, he had COVID or, or something yeah. else that kept him out. Um, you know, that is a, a major weakness, um, given the form he's been in in the last two games. And yeah, given I'm the not chance, that that's not there was a, a chance lot, to yeah. score an injury time too, Peter, again. He could yeah, have scored even later. Yeah, injury time too, scoring <laughs> as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got two. Yeah, the, the 112th minute would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? I or think if he's had about 2,000 minute. minutes of injury time, he wouldn't have scored <laughs> last night, to be honest. <laughs> But no, I mean, missing, joking aside, missing him. And also, I have to question whether Trossard um, was actually fully fit because he came off, he was stretched off against Southampton. Admittedly, they said it wasn't as bad as it might have looked. And he may not have started the Spurs game if that had taken place. But this is another match three games later. He was off colour. You have to assume that's due to either something, a little bit of loss of match sharpness through the the extra week and a half or whatever, um, but mainly because I, I'd imagine he's playing within himself due to the injury. I'm, I mean, we also didn't give him the ball. I mean, that's the other big thing. I mean, yeah, everything on his own. If you don't get him the ball, then he's not gonna. Yeah, and also Veltman hobbled off in a recent game, and then he's he was seen clutching his hamstring at the end of he this game. Up so running I'm wondering back at the end when they were yeah. trying to break right at the end of the last minute. So I think again. Yeah. If if Feltman is feeling that, maybe we thought, well, we don't have a choice here. We're so short on numbers. We we can't put a too ex- inexperienced centre-back line-up in there by chucking in, you know, Turns and um, and Roberts or something. So um, in the end, he maybe thought, well, we have, we'll have to risk Feltman. We'll have to risk Trossard. And more pays out. I do think that weakens us quite significantly, to be honest, if those are the... The, the circumstances um and on top of that obviously people presumably grosh uh, must have caught the bug as well because he's he was out of the squad altogether yeah, I mean, but i'm not going to include grosh necessarily because while he um Potter does play him, i don't necessarily regard him as the way he's been informed this season as being he should be first choice mm. you know i think 
no, no, fair enough. Without him as first choice. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. I, I agree with you. He's not been great this season. However, it's about options and about, yeah. for example... Um, well, like, I mean, like it, Duffy wouldn't have started last night if all were fit, probably, but he would have started once Duncan yeah. were out, you know, kind yeah. of... And, and by not by not being able to play Duffy or, or any of the other players who are injured, Veltman, if he is carrying some kind of an injury, would have been able to be rested for that game and now has had to play a full match. And then supposedly we're playing on Sunday, on Saturday. I keep saying Sunday, I don't know why. Uh, on Saturday, which is three days later or two and a half days later. That's not really going to be uh, ideal, yeah. is it? If that's, and while we've if, got if Duffy back, we, we may well have, we've lost the Suma. We may have lost yeah. I think yeah, he got his fifth booking. Yeah. The only the only downside for the United game being called off would be Basuma misses Brentford, which obviously yes, exactly. Yeah, they've which... got their own COVID problems as well. Yeah, they... and he was man of the match for me against Brentford in the earlier game as well. And they made comments about how good he was. So clearly, he made an impact in that game. You like to think that players that do well against one team tend to do well against them more than once. So that would be a big blow if United is called off and Basuma is missing for that game. Um, particularly because our home form, this is the other thing, and this is becoming a matter of major concern. Um, apparently now our win ratio at home under Graham is 24%, um, which is 10% lower than Chris Hewton. Admittedly, Chris Hewton's home form versus away form was, was, was the strength of his regime, um, particularly in the survival years. But, um, but 24% so the first season we stayed up, not great. Our home form was actually pretty good. We only won, I think, two away. Both yeah, that's right. But our home form was what kept us up. Yeah. And this is this is a matter of concern, isn't it? Because it's becoming a psychological thing, I think, now. Yeah. There's sort of dreary weather days. There's um, the failure to really either play well enough in some games or play well enough but not create chances or, or create chances but not put them away. It's one of those three things or two of those three things are going on each time we play at home. And now we've got into a psychological thing regarding the actual record. For all the good play we've had in some of those matches, we have not won a league game for 11 games now. And that's what, that's 12, is it, in, in all game, all competitions, I think, if you don't count the yeah. Tim Pot Cup thing. Um, that's not great at all. And that is going to play on their minds. Um, I, I don't think there was any booing at the game last night, um, but there's certainly a malaise, I think, within the crowd. Uh, we've criticised the, um, the atmosphere at home games. I think we could do a lot better. I don't think the circumstances helped. A, there was a lot of people that stayed away, like me. Um, in my case, it was for work reasons. But for a lot of people, it was to avoid getting COVID the week before Christmas, when everyone's desperate to have Christmas, having not had it last year, um, sharing family and friends in other households. Um, there's also the general kind of time of year. It's, it's a bad week to have a, a midweek match. There's maybe some Christmas parties still going on. There's maybe Christmas shopping, other commitments, other things going on. It's an expensive month. Um, there was travel problems as well for anyone that was thinking of going. It may have affected some journey um, as turn ups. And also, of course, there's this COVID policy that's just come into play where you've got to sign a declaration, um, take that with you, take the other identification. And there was apparently some people being emailed. I may have been me. I haven't checked my emails yet. Um, who, were, who were being asked to present themselves at one of the ticket booths. Yeah, I think it's like one in, four, one in four, one in five sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which, so all those things don't yeah, I understand. I, I do think the club also need to take a lot of blame for everything that's happened with the, the ground as well and the atmosphere because of their stupid ticketing policy they've introduced this season, which, you know, the money it costs to actually change someone's ticket over and the hassle and the, you know, they've said so there have been far more empty seats this season than previous seasons. And even yeah. with COVID, that's, that's down to the club partly as well. They're in their attempt to basically take money off people who've already paid loads of money for the 
this whole idea of like we're all in it together we kind of like i i, I gave a little bit of money towards the, you know to, from one of my season tickets towards at one point i left the rest with the club as well for last season so to cover now and then you feel well, why do i bother why did i you know because mm. Trying to take money off me for stuff. I mean, there are people that have defended it, but you're not going to get a contrary argument from me on this one because I agree. I think it's stupid. I think it's, I, I wouldn't have, have objected to a certain degree of charge. Um, for example, if, it, if you had to pay 10 quid to have it for the season and there were no limitations on how many times one individual could use that in your place, and maybe they had to pay a five pound levy to be on the system or something then you're talking half the price they're charging. Personally, I wouldn't like to have them have to pay something. I think you have to register their details. <laughs> Fair enough. I think yeah. that should be a thing you could do by passing it on officially to them. You contact the club and have a system where you, you put the information in. Yeah, so and I get know. that, especially with COVID. I understand that you need to but, have... But yeah, the spontaneity has gone of, oh, I've yeah. got a spare ticket, or my, my seat partner, so to speak, has a spare ticket. Um I've got um, a neighbour that I sit next to, in, I mean, in terms of the stadium, a neighbour who I sit next to. Um, often he can't go and he's offered me his ticket. I've sometimes taken it for someone and vice versa. And um, there's other people around me. I know quite a few of the people around me uh, prior to going to football as well. So there's people I could rely on and would could be relying on me to bring reliable people to the game. Um, it's taking away the responsibility of the individual to um, to be trusted with it. Um, I understand yeah. they want and, to and regulate it, it rather than to... just have it happen offhand. But... but when we've been discussing, you know, we say that these, if you bring these people, then they may well buy food, they may well buy buy drink. Exactly. You know, so that they maybe a program that money back anyway, and also you may get a new fan out of it. Which, while the club may not think at the moment, you know, they're short on fans, we get relegated or something like that. Suddenly, class, you know, attendances drop again or something like that because people are a bit fed up. Suddenly, we're you know mid-table yeah. championship after a couple of seasons. You need these new fans to come in and take the place of. Old events, or even pitch people, you know, are no longer around or no longer able to go. You need you, you're going to get some level of churn in. Uh, you might you yeah exactly churn. I love and, that word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you might you, you might even get a new chairman out of it, Peter. I was listening yeah. to a podcast where um it was actually I think it was the Price of Football where the Lewis chairman Stuart Fuller I think his name is came uh, came on their podcast and um he was saying that he got taken along to a Lewis game by a friend. He's actually a West Ham fan, but he got taken along by a friend. And he ended up going regularly to the games and ended up getting voted onto the board and became the chairman. So, okay, that's an extreme, but yeah, you're right. People can become supporters by through a casual window yeah. of opportunity. And it or adds, if you know, if someone you said, takes extra... one kid because the other one's not old enough, but then on the one game, they, their child can't make it, they take their other child, and suddenly yeah. another fan who goes along with them and yeah, true. drink before the said, game and... You know, it, it's it's attracting it new affiliations as well as the money. Well, exactly, it's it, attracting new affiliations and it's attracting um, more income coming in, which was would have been lost. Because, for example, when I go to a game, you know, not, not putting any punches here, I would normally have at least one pint inside the stadium, um, usually more than one because we were waiting for the queue. So, say, let's say I'd have two pints normally. Um, that would be if if I was the casual fan, that would be. Uh, virtually 10 quid straight away. I'd, I'd have a pie if it's an evening game, definitely. And I, well, I buy the programme anyway, so that's irrelevant. But, you know, so, so that for me, that would be 15 quid or something like that, which yeah. is definitely gone. Not not for any other reason, I just couldn't make it this time. But if I couldn't go, and I had a friend going who's like-minded in terms of their general kind of behaviour, they might have a couple of drinks and a 
and apply that's 15 quid gone straight away multiply that by however many people are disenchanted with the ticketing scheme i think it could be much better a much better system yeah, it's well it, it run but i don't been, think it's the right one it feels like it's the along with things like the, the taking like a bag of a certain size in as well which i've never i hardly ever know at other grounds you know for the thing mm. or certainly like size wise a lot of premier league grounds like you take a normal size backpack when you're coming from london on a day like like today say you know need an umbrella yeah. need like hat and gloves and that sort of thing it does get a bit you know it's quite small bottle tops you know that sort of thing and it just feels like the club are just trying to do everything to get their to get every last penny out of fans when actually they should be trying to get new supporters along and trying to bring along new people yeah and it's well, frustrating because We've done so much, you know, a lot of you know, fans like us have been around for a long time. We've done so much to get the club to where they are today. You know, been on mm. marches, been, you know, fought for the club when it needed it, you know, you know, supported it, you know, through times like with Dean, that sort of thing, when the club really didn't have any sort of money around. And now mm. it sounds like, it feels like we're being treated just as, well, I mean, it's always said about customers versus supporters. I don't want to be treated like a customer at Brighton. I'm not a customer because a customer would then take a bad service and leave. And I'm not going to do that because they know that. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I love this club and I love so many things about the club in its current incarnation in terms of the ownership, the way the way it's generally run, um, the philosophies in place, the all-inclusiveness, the broad thinking, you know, the holistic approach with the women's team and the way we're doing the academy, um, the facilities, the way they engage with a lot of fans from certain backgrounds and all that sort of stuff the things that Sanjay talked about earlier in this podcast about you know how they're dealing with issues of discrimination all of that stuff's fantastic but there's always things that could be better and I do think they've got this wrong this ticketing policy I have to say Um, I I, I don't agree with it I I don't have a problem with the other issue which is the thing about the declarations and the COVID passes personally as far as I'm concerned I think for everyone's safety people just have to have to go with that and cut out conspiracy theories and other theories my slight concern with the COVID passes is it doesn't go far enough because Mm. we're told that Omicron does not give a shit about two jabs and we'll just you know so why aren't they in a way it should be you've had your booster as well or you have approved for negative COVID test if you've had two jabs you can go in having with proof of having to add two jabs that feels irrelevant yeah. when you consider that Omicron actually does seem to be spreading irrelevant to that. So it doesn't actually make me feel any more safe by having that given the current wave. Whereas if it was like two jabs and a booster or a, or a, a negative lateral flow test, that to me wouldn't be more logical. Yeah, yeah. Um, we digressed a bit from the point about the atmosphere, Sorry, yeah. by the way. Obviously, Moved away a little bit we, from the game last <laughs> just night. Sorry. Little, just a little bit. But, um, but just going on about that, I mean, I do think it's, it's deteriorated. I think it is, obviously there's a chicken and egg factor to this as well um, in terms of we're not playing as well. But I think we have played better than the, uh, well, the support hasn't been as good as it deserved for the, for the type of football we played in some of the games this season. I think, largely speaking, I think that's probably about the right balance in terms of the chicken and egg effect, though. But I do think we need to just break out of that cycle. We need to just be, um, we need to make the chicken make the egg, so to speak. <laughs> um, we, we've got to have, we've got to really force the atmosphere, make the atmosphere bigger and better. Because I do think the, the players are feeling that sense of malaise. I do get the impression that Graham is getting sort of frustrated by, obviously by the results, but also by the kind of, the, the lack of, that extra 12th man factor which I don't think is really there to the degree it should be and that's a criticism of anyone that doesn't make a noise who could do at matches um I think obviously fairness, I wasn't there last night so I feel a bit of a hypocrite saying it on this home occasion. crowds to be fair around the country often don't make the noise for waste of it's like no. 
That's just yeah, you watch any games. Has, you think, actually, you know, it's not that great, is it? Even no, Liverpool, and it's, Man U. And it's can... partly down, again, to the club because you don't have the... I think having the North Stand near the away end probably would be... Having the away end nearer the North Stand might make more noise. Yeah. North Stand for 100%. Them. Be more back and forth. I think having Albion fans behind both goals would help as well. I think that would be a, yeah. a rather than Agreed. just the South kind of being mostly away fans. You know, there which are which is a disadvantage to us well, having them there. And it's you say it's a chicken and the egg. You know, so a lot of the time, you know, you have to do something to get the fans, you know, worked up. And a lot of the times, you know, the best atmospheres have been like Burnley home when we had two players sent off early on, Sheffield Wednesday home when we had our back against the wall in the playoffs. You know, that sort of game. Mm. Where, you know, kind of there's been some sort of massive injustice or. You know, something's you know kind of you know that gets the fans riled up. Maybe we need referees to make controversial decisions, and then the fans will get behind. I do yeah. think that Potter has got a, a little bit of a get out of jail free card with this whole booing after Leeds because I don't think he should have said anything about it. I think it's been booing since then at other grounds that we've heard that's been you know, kind of like where where no one's mentioned it, and I think mentioning it was probably not a good idea from his point of view or the clubs. But since then, we've still, you know, yes, we've nicked two late points, but we've not played great in either of those games. Certainly West Ham, we were we were OK, but we weren't brilliant. Um, mm. And I think, I actually weirdly think that the 10 men put West Ham off a little bit because they were quite happy playing us on the break and sit defensive, defending quite comfortably. And then when we went down to 10 men, that we they felt they had to have a go at it a bit yeah. more. That yeah. kind of gave us a bit more chance to attack. And it, it's a bit of, yeah, an interesting one. So Lampton, obviously, we, we, we again, it was a bit of a freak goal, wasn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, if James Ball proud doesn't go onto that post, then Malpace miles offside and it's like golden allowed. So, and then yesterday we were, we were by four, especially second half, we were very poor. Um, how on earth can a manager expect to not be a frustration of fans when at that point they had no win in eight, now it's no win in 11? I mean, hmm. he's got, you know, the right to a free, yes, we expect to be struggling, that sort of thing, but we're living off, a very good start to the season where we were a little lucky at times you know, in those first five games. If we hadn't yeah, I mean, had those wins, even we'd be looking up over our shoulder a lot. You say he's got a, he's got a wave one a little bit because the booing was there and it made a big fuss at an early point and has kind of almost it almost caused people to kind of lay off from, now. from complaining so, now. I think almost. when they might have done, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a, in a weird sort of way, I agree with you, but in a weird, weird sort of way, maybe that's um, actually. Could be good for us as well, though, because I think if there had been a gradual, continued, mm. um, sort of growing scale of frustration, particularly becoming tangible audibly at games, that could have caused greater psychological problems than we're currently sitting with at the moment. Um, it could have actually made things more damaging. Because um, when things start to go down like that, unless you're able to snap out of it, it yeah. just continues to go down and it becomes actually quite quickly the point where you get this whole thing of toxicity in the crowd and untenability. I've never booed uh, the team off as a whole. I don't think it's particularly helpful. I think I said that the, mm. time, the odd time I've booed individual players who I don't think put any effort in. And there are, we've had players over the years and I'm sure we can yeah. all know some who just don't look interested. And, and that's where I think there is a frustration from my point of view. I've never booed the team off because I just don't think it, if they've all given their all, but they're useless, then, it's not really their fault, you know. It's like if they if they fought and they mm. battled and you know. But I don't. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting they didn't try last night. I just felt it didn't look very. They just didn't look as fresh as you'd hope, having had that time off. And yeah. so I wonder whether there's been that, that disrupted training as well from all, all that's happened. Yeah. But I thought. I thought that. Yeah. I just feel this. Like, yeah. A bit of a lethargy around. And our movement generally recently has been pretty. Set pieces have been really poor, which is something I really feel we need to work on because. Yeah, I think so. Well, on that well from open play. Then gonna... surely that's where you should be focusing. Give them the, the big players we have, and yes, obviously mm. Duncan Webster all out last night. But generally speaking, 
you know, you've got to aim for something like that where you can actually have got more chance of scoring. Well, a couple of points there. First of all, we, we played a 4-3-3 really, I think to all intents and purposes last night, which we haven't really adopted very often. Partly that's a no doubt down to improvising with the, who is available. Yeah. Um, yes, Graham's teams are generally kind of well known to be able to adapt flexibly to some degree with changes of formation. We had Lamptey, Veltman, Byrne and Kukurea across the back four and Wepu, Basuma and Modewin midfield and March playing up front with Connolly and Trossard. Um, if but the only change of, that I might have made was was what he did in the end anyway for McAllister for Connolly. Yeah, yeah, I would have liked McAllister to come in. Assuming he was available to play a whole game, I would have had him in from the start in this match, really. In place there wasn't of really anyone else available. You couldn't start Elzate or Lalana because they had both been out. Yeah. They were both kind of like on their way back, but might have been able to put some minutes in. And then I'm, I'm, all youngsters, yeah. weren't they? I mean, that's well, obviously I'm, where exactly. I do think we were weakened yesterday. Our bench was pretty weak because of... Yeah. You know, or quite a lot of young players because we didn't have many options available. And I actually thought Taylor Richards came here was one of our better performances last night. He looked quite lively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came on fairly late in the game, but he looked quite good, didn't he? I, I did think Mwepu played well, apart from a, a one. I think one or two stray passes later in the game, and, and obviously the chances. Mm. But in terms of the bench, yeah, we have McAllister, Lalana, Sherpin, which presumably means Steele may have got the yeah, bike as well. Yeah, I think Steele, Steele, and potentially yeah. Lacardia as well. Yeah. Although whether um, he was I'll just dropped permanently. Yeah, Alzate, Roberts, Richards, uh, Leonard, Turns, and Ferguson. So a lot of under twenty threes in there. Um, anyway, but that's that was the sub. That was the um, subs. And in terms of the the other point you said about set pieces, just to round off here, because um, I'm sure we'd, we'd rather make this around about a ninety minute podcast rather than a hundred and six minutes. Was it in the end or whatever? Sorry, I can't hear you time. very well. Sorry, what were you, what was that? I kind of my head's going. <laughs> yes. Oh dear, that was a technical problem. I can't. Can't hear you. Maybe we should have a long delay to try and sort this out, Peter. Yeah, maybe so ten maybe minutes, ten minutes over the airways. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it did look, I found it quite funny that it looked like it basically you know, trying to just pull up his sleeve the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, his name. I think it was Tony Harrington. He was a debut yeah. ref as far as the Premier League goes. So you got to feel sorry for him. It's obviously not his fault. The technology's gone wrong. He, I mean, he couldn't hear the VAR. Basically, is, is the problem, and possibly the other assistant refs. I'm not sure. Um, but there was technology issues. They had to resolve it. Stopped the game on two or three occasions he ended up having to go out of sight down the tunnel and try and sort something out eventually they got it sorted but um i mean it was his first game in the premier league so you, you've got to feel for him on that score um i did think he could have done more as a referee in terms of sorting out the time wasting but that's another matter but that was that was one unique element to the game the other one was that um somebody spotted that there was a, a new person in the uh in the home dugout area which we think is a either an attacking or set piece or both um coach which I don't know if that's the case. If it is, I think it's a good move, assuming it's a good candidate for the job, um, because we do need to work on set pieces, don't we? I know Pascal Gross hasn't been good this season, but um, we've missed a good Pascal Gross in certain games. Yeah. Um, last night being another example, some terrible corners. The only decent one was the one where we played it shorter. As well when... Like yeah, yeah, the free kicks the were bad too. Yeah. The, only, the only half-decent one was the short one diagonally to Lamptey uh, to try and catch him out and hit a near post shot I thought it was worth a yeah. try um, given that we really didn't have a presence the, the only big presence in the box was Dan Byrne who you know gotta love him but he's not a great header of the ball is he to be quite frank um, so I can see why we tried to do other stuff my, again my it's mate, a limitation though if, if oh, I was Duffy, chatting to my mate while watching and he was suggesting that we stick him up front and I was like well he can't really head the ball so he's just <laughs> 
So it hits him on the head and goes in. Yeah, and we do also have a problem with centre-backs at the moment. <laughs> just another minor little issue there. Um, but anyway, that, that's pretty much that. The only other thing was just a couple of stats. I mean, just to run through some of them. Um, attempts on goal. We had 12 to 8. Um, four on an open play to their two. Um, eight from set-pieces to their four, um, which t- tells you a lot about how little we make of set-pieces. And Wolves had the only two significant counter-attacks of the game. Um, and well, the in terms goal. of... Yeah, yeah. Um, conversion rate, of course, 12% from their chances. That's on the XG sort of stuff. Um, and the other stat, of course, is to do with possession. Once again, we had more possession. I think it was something like um, 54%, but also we had um, uh, a good pass completion rate. So some of those stats still look good. But when you look at it with the eye test, it really isn't quite like that, is it? Right. 59% possession, actually. Um, yeah, anyway, but there we go. That's pretty just, much it. Just on a that couple game. of bits, quick bits of news. Yeah. Have you mentioned them on the bench? Um, uh, Mark Leonard and Ed Turns both signed new deals this week. Oh, brilliant! Um, Good. Leonard till 20, summer twenty twenty three, I think. So a year and a half deal, and Turns for two and a half years till so summer twenty twenty four. Excellent. Oh, that's good. They're good, really good young prospects. I'm glad um, yeah. they've got that sorted. There's some other contracts we could do with sorting quite soon, actually, in the first team. But anyway, um, yeah. one other thing, my end, actually, I just remembered that uh, the Albion played, and we're on TV um, for the game against Man United at Crawley's Ground on the weekend. Unfortunately, it was covered by BBC, that one. Unfortunately, lost 2-0, and the United were playing well, actually. I think they were the better side from what I gather i recorded it but i found out the results so i ended up sort of skipping through a bit more on that one but i'm gonna they're on again this weekend as well they're playing away at arsenal a rather daunting fixture um but that's live on sky i think it's on sunday at 6 30 coverage on that one if anyone wants to check that out as well um so that, that's it pretty much albion news wise anything else that's come up recently and peter anything no, uh, nothing burning nothing issues from my side uh, I think we're going to, pretty... yeah, we're not going to yeah. win before Christmas now, probably. I mean, oh, actually, yeah. it's a, quite a big game because they're not on great form either and they've been up and down. Brentford. It, it's an, I, I hesitate to say a six-pointer when we're still like mm. points for the relegation. Oh. But, but with Chelsea and Everton, I mean, Everton to follow, which we never win, we never win Everton, never get anything there. Chelsea away, we'll probably lose. You know, also, Everton Everton will be, they'll change managers by the time we play them. Probably, as as yeah. it's happened all season. With, or they, they won't yeah. officially get their new manager. They'll have Duncan Ferguson back in charge and he'll motivate yeah. them uh, yeah. against us. Yeah, we yeah never, managerless Newcastle get the draw. We've not even got a point up there, have we, so far? No, I don't think we have. No, no. Which oh, is shambolic, really. Um, but there we go. Yeah, so it's going to be tough, isn't it, even after Christmas? But let's hope... Um, that we can turn things around because at the moment it's going, yeah, it's slipping a bit too much in the downward direction. At least tomorrow. after that, we've got a couple of weeks to try and get one or two players in or a call one or two loan players or whatever or yeah. do what we need to do. Because at the moment, we're looking short on numbers, short on quality and, yeah, mm. just short of ideas generally, I think, which is worrying. Mm. Yeah. OK, well, on that note, we'll round off Peter. So Cheerful. On that cheerful note. <laughs> on that cheerful, lovely note. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, no, again, just to mention, thanks again to Sanjay for coming on, and, and please yeah, do thanks, contact, kick it out. If you've got any issues you wanted to make them aware of, please do contact them, and obviously report any incidents to match stewards on match days if we ever do get to games again, and uh, that is. Um, and as far as it goes... Oh, if you hold today, off a sec, we oh, might have a little bit of breaking oh, news. Oh, could be some breaking news. The press conference, if it's to do with the Albion, was postponed, wasn't it? it no, the United game's actually off now. 
It is officially off. We got that just in time before we stopped recording. Right, so the, yeah, so the United game is officially off. confirmed as off. Um, so, so we're bottom half in going into Christmas. I think we realised uh, it would have been that anyway, mate. So, yeah, <laughs> down to so. United not having enough players, obviously. Not us, though. No one yeah, cares about Yeah, us. exactly. Of course, yeah, we, they would have theory. gone ahead otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, just it? perfect timing at the end. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we're glad we got that news imparted as well. Then, so so no game this weekend. Next match, officially as it stands, is is Brentford eight o'clock on Boxing Day, which is another game I can't go <laughs> I'm to. Sure it's going to be a huge for that game, seeing as it's crap uh, time anywhere with COVID and everything like that. Yeah. Well, about two, I'm, men I'm, and the, two men and a dog in the get, actually there at the game, and they'll still announce the third thousand yeah. like attendance. I can't, I can't get to it. It's going to be too hard. No, not I. I mean, yeah. anyone coming from London, it's almost impossible to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's too much of a hassle. Easy time to have a game where you rely so much on public transport, but yeah. then, of course, the TV companies couldn't care less about them. Yeah. I've, I'm going to be down in Sussex on Christmas Day, and I've got to go back to London. So the last thing I'm going to do is then come back to Sussex in the evening, the same day. A driving, wouldn't be able to drink anything. Most people I know aren't even going to the game. And um, quite frankly, i am kind of got plans for Boxing Day. <laughs> I've, I've never been a fan of Boxing Day games. This whole thing of, oh, it's traditional. Get rid of it. I don't, I don't like Boxing Day games. A lot of people well, don't. You're going to get some do, controversy but... there because a lot of people... Bring it on. Bring... I don't care. Say what you want. I you're going to get Boxing people Day writing games. in and like kind of harassing you now. And... <laughs> let, them, let them do so. The Boxing I don't Day Brigade. <laughs> the Boxing Day boys getting in. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be drinking, and being merry. So on that note, this um, at least maybe... watch the game on TV. Yeah, being depressed we... instead. <laughs> Indeed, we may possibly get one other guest um, episode in before uh, Christmas. Possibly, possibly not. But if we don't, then to all our listeners, we wish you all a very merry Christmas, um, and we will be back with our next one, which might be a Brentford-related one, we'll see. Um, in the meantime, Peter, let's uh, sign out, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.